from inside the cleavage of a lot of vagina, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome two escaped convicts from Absalom, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yes, that's right. We are recycling openings now. We've come to that place. Uh, well, you didn't tell me that. We, we, we could book Corey to record new ones. Yeah, I know, but uh, we, haven't, we haven't closed the, the deal yet on all the new submissions. We're still taking them. All right, well, you know what? Uh, I people think are still t- coming. This last week was Fast and Furious, a lot of people sending in uh, submissions. So, it's, it's, you know, I, I want to get people until they got to think. You've got to get your creative juices flowing. got to let people think about these things. You can't say on Monday, oh, we're taking submissions and we close it on Friday and give people five days. they got wives and families and we've work. Been, and, we've been saying this for like a month. Two months. Something like that. Um, we have very lazy fans. Anyway, gods at digigods.com. Still taking new submissions, uh, submissions for the, uh, for the new openings until the end of March. So uh, another two weeks really? or so. Really? The end of March? End of March. Another two weeks or so, and you know we'll, we'll have about two or three, maybe four weeks of recycling, and that's fine. That's okay. Okay. We can live with recycled openings. You know what? Recycling's big now. It is big, isn't it? All the kids are We're doing We're saving it. the although, earth. Although, you know Using what? new openings is saving the earth. Although I have to say that uh, sometimes when, I, when, I, uh, when I'm walking down the street, say I'm walking down the street eating a piece of food. Okay, and you're walking down the street eating, eating a piece of, of food. Eating some food, I'm just yes. walking down the street, whatever. It's a bag of chips or something. Okay. And I want to throw it away. Yeah. And what I'll do is I will, I'll try to find an alley. Because usually the, the garbage cans are, 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 are you know, in an alley. Yes. You know, sure. here in uh, Los Angeles. So I will... Walk by an alley, look to the right and left, hope that there's a trash can there, throw my garbage away. And what really annoys me, and you know what? You get this in restaurants, too. You get these, uh, this lineup of trash cans. There's the blue one. There's the green one. There's the regular one. And sometimes it's like, there's like this other one. There's like one for meat. Sure. There's one for recyclables. Sure. There's one for just, quote, unquote, regular garbage, whatever that is. Uh-huh. And there's one for, like, leaves. Uh-huh. You know, and organic material. Right. I, know, I don't know if that means food or not. I think it might right. just mean leaves. And that annoys me. Because here's the thing. What nobody, what nobody thinks about is okay. now you can have four different garbage cans. Like they, 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 they have it at Whole Foods. I think at Whole Foods they have three. You can have 100 different garbage cans. But does that mean that you have to have 100 different types of garbage trucks? Yes. To take 100 different types of garbage away? Yes. Well, where's the, where's the, the environmental impact of that? I don't know. I don't measure carbon footprints. I just look for Bigfoot footprints. I'm just saying that, you know, it's like they have all these and different... that's another question. And it makes people feel good, but in the end, you could be hurting yourself. You don't know. And that's another question. Where's Bigfoot? We got more cameras in this world now, more cell phone cameras. I say we look historically at where Bigfoot is supposed to be, and then we just get like 10,000... Here's what you do. Where Bigfoot used to be, you have Burning Man there. And all those cameras, somebody's going to capture something, right? Just relocate Burning Man to, to Bigfoot stomping around. He'll probably show up. Well, you have to no one a, will notice him. Well, you have to take They'll a just pic- think he's just some other dude at Burning Man. You'll have to take a picture of your Maybe imagination because that's where he lives. Dancing with his fur, all eight foot of him. All right. That's great. Wait. All right. Uh, <laughs> Where'd that come from? I thought mine was random. Oh, you know, I, 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 know, where you th- I know where you got that from. Uh, a couple days ago... Uh, and I've never watched his show, but I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, and he was he's sick, so I'm hanging out with him, so he was watching it. The uh, Bible? A- a- Anderson Cooper. You're hanging out with Anderson Cooper? No, a friend of mine was watching Anderson oh, Cooper, okay. whose show I had never seen, All right. and uh, on CNN, and he did a thing on Bigfoot. Anderson Cooper's Bigfoot? Like, like, like a, a few days, not his Bigfoot. <laughs> but Anderson Cooper was, he sucks, that show sucks. I, I saw five minutes, I was, I was pissed off already. <laughs> it just seems so stupid. 
All TV all, seem, right. all of TV seems stupid way. That's why we're film critics. Yeah, well, they ain't much more film. But, uh, we're, we, you know what? Honestly, it's an amazing show today. I have to be honest. We've got this is this is the week. This is the week when all the Oscar stuff and all the year end, uh, you know, big 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 gun stuff really starts pouring out on a DVD. So we've got a tremendous lineup today. We really do awesome stuff. Great classic movies. Great new movies. Uh, and we have Vox Box and Listener Mail. And Mark, no, no, hold on. Oh. We are going to start off with the Vox Box. Really? Yes, we are. Wow. We're going to start off with the Vox Box for a very good reason. Okay. So, Mark, go yes. ahead. Fire it up. Oh, I, 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 get, I get to do the song? You get to do the song. It's Vox Box. Hey, waited, Mark. It's Lance Taylor again. Uh, I have two questions for you guys today. Um, the first one involves the 1933 Best Picture which, of course, was, no, Mark, not Star Wars, uh, Cavalcade, obviously. Uh, not available on DVD or Blu-ray in America. And uh, what the hell? I mean, that sucks. It should be available. I want it. I want to own it. I don't want the PAL uh, imported version. I want good old fancy American version. Any chance we'll get it anytime soon? And also, Amadeus, the uh, director's cut, which came out, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Um, every time they re-release the movie, now we get the director's cut. And I don't like the director's cut. I much prefer the theatrical version. Do you think we'll get the theatrical version uh, on Blu-ray anytime soon? I hope. I don't care if it's a combo or seamless branching or whatever. Just give me my theatrical version of Amadeus on Blu-ray, damn it. Uh, yeah, so what do you guys think? Give me some good news, will you? Okay, now I'm going to tell you, I, I think Lance is blessed with some kind, of, uh, some kind of weird karmic energy. Because honestly, not, I mean, he sent that to us in late February, all right? And uh, I was going to use it as a Vox box somewhat earlier because it was, you know, Cavalcade has like an Oscar thing to it. And I kid you not, literally within days, within days, this arrives in the email. The people have spoken. 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment announces Voice Your Choice winners. Nine classic films to release on Blu-ray for the first time. And uh, the the most write-in votes was Cavalcade. What? Which will be released on August 6th on Blu-ray. So, Lance, you, you have the magic touch, man. I wonder if Lance voted. Now, Lance, did you vote? Were you one of the people voting for this I'll thing? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I didn't even know about this. This is, this is how well Fox has publicized this. Um, but it's, it's basically, um, here are the other films. They're, you know, they're all from classic decades. Nothing past 1960. Uh, from the 1930s, Jesse James, 1939, with Tyrone Power. And uh, Call of the Wild with Jack Thornton in 1935. And then from the 1940s, I'm thrilled about this, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Which I just think is awesome. Gene Tierney and uh, and Rex Harrison, fantastic. Even includes a young Natalie Wood. Believe it or not, that's from 1947. And then Black Swan uh, from 1942, another Tyrone Power movie. 1950s, they're going to release Carmen Jones uh, from 1954, which is which is pretty great. And uh, Desk Set, which has been on on DVD but never on Blu-ray. Desk Set's a good film. Catherine Hepburn, absolutely fabulous. Spencer Tracy, never better. And then uh, from the 1960s, uh, North to Alaska and Undefeated. So, you know, eh, those are both kind of, you know, I don't know why those films are are that popular, but uh, there you go. One's a John Wayne movie. 
That's why. So what? Uh, now here's the thing: we need Lance to record vox boxes for mm-hmm. other films we'd like to see on Blu-ray. Yeah, because totally. then when he says it, it when becomes true. It, it does indeed, totally becomes true. So Lance, thank you. What an awesome vox box. As for the second part of the question, the Amadeus thing, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, this is this is one of these ongoing peeves that a lot of people have about. Uh, director's cuts is that a lot of movies they'll get a director's cut and then everyone forgets that there's another cut it's the star wars syndrome basically it's like you know where's my original star wars where's where's the one thing where han shot first where is uh where's the one with no cgi and um et for example when it finally came out on blu-ray it was you know not just the original but that they got the the right version close encounters same thing they show they're giving you the original version because people clamor for it um, the same, same thing eventually happened with The Last Emperor, which was out there in that horrible, horrible European director's cut for the longest time, which was never really a director's cut. Um, but then you have other stuff like uh, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, you know, the, the original release cut of that has never been on DVD. It's never been on Blu-ray. It's uh, Michael Mann essentially has buried it, and there are things that he took out of it. And if you want the original release cut, you've got to get it on Laserdisc, of all things. So uh, it kind of depends on the director to some degree. Uh, if Milos Forman feels the heat, I, I guess he could always say, uh, sure, you know, do an anniversary release. Um, I mean, Amadeus was uh, 1985. Four, five? Four. Four, 84. It four? It's 84. Yeah, it's 84. Yes, it was. It was 84. Oscars, 1985. I always get that confused in my head. So in 1984, so you figure if they're going to do an anniversary release... Uh, probably next year, you know. Um, but they may release it end of the year and call it an anniversary release around holiday time, and and that doesn't even guarantee anything. It may they may still screw us and not release the original release cut. But it would be nice if they gave it, you know, the all 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 cuts on the same Mondo package. Pay more for it, even though it doesn't cost us any more. Three discs and include you know a digital copy, uh, ultraviolet boondoggle and all that junk. No, so ultraviolet is no boondoggle. Ultraviolet I know ultraviolet is the future. Uh, everything, but you know what? I mean, and and I realize there are a lot of pros to it, but man, they got to standardize that sucker. They really do. I know they do. It's just it, it, there's it's no. It's like one guy's ultraviolet is not someone else's ultraviolet. You know what I mean? Right. Like Universal's ultraviolet and Warner Brothers ultraviolet. It's not like you go to this. It's not like there's one place where you can go for your access to all of your your ultraviolet digital locker stuff. It it they they really are just kind of this this whole thing is not, has not been well thought out. Even worse, what's this whole thing about uh, AMC launching this yeah movie streaming network? Think oh, and, and, and Redbox as well. Redbox yes. is uh, jumping into the streaming thing. Uh, AMC, stop that. Well, look, I AMC mean, is, gonna, is going to launch. Yes, it's called yeah. It's gonna it's a video streaming. It, mm-hmm. It's it, it's like Amazon or Netflix or whatever. But it's it's like I think it's five bucks. Uh, I think it's five bucks a movie. But keep or in mind, like keep in mind, AMC and Regal, and we're going to get into our DVDs here in a second. We, and we are, have, and, yes, and we have a listener mail uh, that we're going to read later on in the show. But AMC and, and Regal, the two largest exhibitors in the country, remember they formed Open Road, which is the distribution company that has it's a you know it's done a number of fairly decent films. Uh, End of Watch being obviously the one that was uh, most noteworthy recently. And Side Effects, which and is And Side terrific. Effects, sure, the Soderbergh film. So, I mean, these are, uh, they're getting into the production and distribution of movies that they put into their own theaters, which is kind of the reverse of what it used to be. The studios created theaters to put their own movies into. Now we have theater companies creating movies to put into themselves. So it's, it's, it's a little reverse integration um, because the, the, the way the game But these are changed. old films, though. I mean, these are, this is like, it's five bucks... 
and viewers have a month to watch it. Right. And once they start watching it, they have 48 hours to watch the whole thing. And the point being that exhibitors need to make money, and they're not making money under the old model because the studios are taking a bigger and bigger piece of the movies in the theaters and leaving them in theaters for a shorter and shorter period of time. They keep collapsing those windows, which makes it harder for the studio for the theaters to get to a point in the run of the movie where the split favors them. You know, there's this there's this rolling split if people don't know where when a movie opens first weekend like 80% of the take goes to the studio and you know 20% goes to the theaters if if even that. And then as the run goes on, that split drifts further and further to 50-50 and in some cases, you know, it, it used to finally get all the way down to, you know, 60-40. But if a movie's only in theaters for like four weeks, and then by the time on that fifth week no one is there because they know it's going to be on Blu-ray in three weeks, then the, the, the no one's going to the theater, and this and the theaters are getting hey yippee we're going to get fifty percent of nothing. So it, it you know and we're spending money on overhead, so they have to find other ways to to support their business, and this is this makes sense. But I'm not sure that five dollars to stream. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street or Hannibal or The Exorcist or uh, Blade Runner is really the answer. Maybe not, but it, but you know, it's uh, they're they're looking for something, and eventually somebody's going to hit on something, and it'll work. Uh, also, uh, we've got some other news here. Uh, where is my other news? Here's my other news before we get around to it. Um, May 21st, two collections, classic and contemporary gangster films on Blu-ray. Yeah. Rock on Warner Brothers. Uh, Public Enemy, Little Caesar, Petrified Forest, White Heat. In the, uh, cla- the Ultimate Gangster Collection Classic, and then the Ultimate Gangster Collection Contemporary, we'll have Mean Streets, The Untouchables, Goodfellas, Heat, The Departed. How about that? That's great. Isn't that terrific? I'm not sure there's a ringer in the bunch. No, there's and not. There's that's, always a ringer in the bunch. That's pretty great. So uh, if you want to just, just uh, you know, at a time when gun control is really becoming a hot topic in the United States, Warner Brothers is out in front. <laughs> They're out in front watching people shoot each other. This gets the, uh, this gets the uh, thumbs up from Wayne LaPierre of the, N- of the NRA. Yes, it does. Because whatever Wayne likes, I don't <laughs> like. Uh, Mark, tell yes. us uh, to, 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 to tell us about stuff. And, uh, now, Wade, um, can you tell me why Americans call it football? No. Because there's very <laughs> little can't. feet involved, and I don't understand. And yet we have football. Yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, there's a new uh, DVD, Super Bowl 47 champions. This is all about the Baltimore Ravens. And how they uh, came away with it, and a, a decent, uh, decent Super Bowl. That was a pretty good Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I, I thought the 49ers would win it. At the, the whole brother coaching thing was interesting to me, but I, I didn't pick the younger brother. And what's funny is that they don't on the um, on the uh, box. They don't seem to mention the uh, blackout that happened during the game. It was like a 45 minute blackout during the game, and they had to stop play. And yes. uh, that better be on this uh, this DVD because I did not watch it because I don't like football. And that's <laughs> not true. I, I mean, I, I like football fine. Football is one of those sports that I only get into around the playoffs. Yeah. Like hockey, I never get into at all. Basketball, I'll dabble because I have a lot of huge Laker fans, including you, Wade Major. Yeah. And then uh, football, I get into around the playoffs. Okay. Baseball, I'm, I'm into all the time. Sweet. Anyway, this is fine. You know what? If you love the Super Bowl, love Ravens, go for it. Otherwise, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's our obligatory mention of that. that's our obligatory mention of Super Bowl. Um, uh, what did uh, uh, XLV one one? Yeah, the the forty seven. There yes. we go. Go. This is the, next. All right. 
Why are we talking about this? I don't know. It's because it's Super Bowl. It's not Super Bowl. Um, we're going to start off with uh, with foreign stuff. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, foreign films. You know what? Unbelievable foreign language films in here. Unbelievable foreign language films. Especially three. Three of the best foreign language films of like the last, not just a year, but number of years are here. Starting with... Um, what was my number two film of the year? Oh, Almost no. my number one film. Damn uh, right. Uh, Damn right. The Untouchables. I, you know what's funny is that, is that uh, uh, sometimes you surprise me. Because Untouchables is such a blatantly cr- blatant crowd pleaser. Yep. That usually you don't like that yep. stuff. Yep. You, you like know, all the indie crazy but stuff. But you know what? You know what? Uh, it, it, this is why this is a better crowd pleaser than others. Because it's in French. Uh, seriously, so that's it, it. There it, it is. Well, here's the thing. It, it was in English, and it was retitled Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> well, this is what I was just going to say. This is the movie that Driving Miss Daisy should have been. This is the movie that Son of a Woman should have been. This is the movie that uh, that, that, what, that that crazy thing with, uh, with Bill Murray and uh, – oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Tobey Maguire. What was that? Uh, oh, The Wonder Boys. The Wonder oh, Boys. that's a good movie, though. This is the movie that should have been. No, this is the movie that all of those should have been. God. And it's it's just unbelievably awesome. Yeah, they totally tweaked the story. It's a story basically. It's based on a real life story of a, a French guy who was a quadriplegic who was cared for by, I believe, a Tunisian or an Algerian uh, guy who just kind of came from the streets and, and learned to be a caretaker, and they developed this amazing friendship. Well, they've swapped out the uh, the North African guy for Omar C, who is uh, just absolutely fantastic and he's he's one of the big up-and-coming stars in uh, in france he just landed a couple of big hollywood roles believe it or not and so now his career is over and the thing that's amazing about omar c in this movie which is worth mentioning is that last year um jean dujardin won best actor across, he swept everything he won best actor at Cannes. he won it at the baftas he won it at the oscars for the artist i mean the guy the french the first french actor to just like sweep to run everything but you know what award he didn't win he didn't win best actor in france at the césars omar c beat him for this movie this movie had already made 200 million dollars all over europe before it even came to the united states and sold a single ticket that's how big of a phenomenon this movie is it is just it is the most wonderful uh heartwarming film you could possibly imagine i don't like the name and what is uh, it untouchable what does that mean Okay, fine. You get some deleted scenes. Don't bother watching them. They kind of detract from the film, to be honest. It is a fantastic Blu-ray transfer. I love this movie. You just, you're going to cry. It's going to make you feel so good. I you're going to cry. His, even though it's corny and it's, uh, you know, it's a little, uh, it's very yeah. sentimental and uh, pretty calculated. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a nice movie. I, I, it's, 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 it's one of those movies where if you don't like it, you're a bit of a Scrooge. Yep. Yes. Yes. And this movie's good, too, that you have in your hand. It is indeed. Uh, this is also a movie that has a similar theme to it, believe it or not. And uh, this is a, another great French film. This was, um, and by the way, worth pointing out, uh, both of these were Golden Globe nominees. Uh, well, in that case, you got to watch them because Golden Globe rules. But the but Rust and Bone was not an Oscar nominee because the, because the French did not select Rust and Bone as their submission. They selected Untouchables. And uh, either way, it could have been. Rust and Bone is obviously the artier choice, and uh, Rust and Bone is so freaking good. Well, well, this Did is the unapologetic. Rust and Bone. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, now, gosh, this movie tore my heart out. Uh, like the other Jacques one was Odiar, the, his previous film, A Prophet. The, A Prophet was also good, and you can tell this guy is just uncalculated. He's he's, he's unapologetic. He's not melodramatic. He's very tough on See, his characters. He's good. That's it. He's tough on his characters. He's tough on his characters, which which I think is wonderful because it, you can be too precious about a filmmaker 
you, you know, fil- some filmmakers can be much too precious about their material and their their characters, and they can really. He doesn't. He just puts them through the ringer, and man, it, it's just it's so good for the actors. It's wonderful. Um, this is Marion Cotillard, the uh, wonderful uh, Lavian Rose Oscar winner. We sat next to her at the LAFCA Awards. Damn right. Actually, I sat right next to her. You sort of sat next to her, and Kinda. you got your picture taken with her, That's which right. I was too uh, embarrassed and shy to ask. And for. she stars along with Matthias Schonert, who is the Belgian actor who was previously in uh, Bullhead. Which is also an which Oscar. Is, that's a, that's another a brutal great movie. film, and essentially this is kind of a similar sort of a thing. I mean, it's uh, she. I, I I don't want to give too much away, but there are. Uh Actually, you know what? Here's the thing. I didn't know anything about the movie going in. I so, had no idea what happens to the to the Cotillard character. Let's just say. So try not to read like uh, the back let, of the box or anything. Like yeah, that. don't don't. Just just know that this is this is the most unconventional relationship movie you will probably ever see, and it it just goes into such amazing places. See it for these two incredible performances, um, and don't read anything on the box. Don't read anything about it. If you don't know anything about Rust and Bone, just go in totally blind. Take no, my word for it. Just go in blind. Go in blind. Take uh, my word for it. You want to see this movie. On Blu-ray as well, fantastic transfer. And a lot of gritty photography in this. Beautiful photography and gritty photography, beautifully done on Blu-ray. You know what other movie I say, uh, don't read anything about it before you watch it, is The Celebration. Like when The Celebration happened, I didn't know anything about it. I put the DVD in, and The Celebration, the Thomas Vinterberg film, absolutely floored me. And then afterwards, I read, like when it it eventually came out on DVD, I read the box. I'm like... This would ruin it if you totally. knew that it was about this guy doing this and this totally. is the story of this. You'd be like, God, it's going to lose all its power. And uh, the next, and by the way, a lot of people have asked me, they're like, do you think, it, you know, Intouchables didn't get an Oscar nomination? They think, do you think if Rust and Bone had been submitted, you know, instead, if, the, if they had won and been the French submission, would they have gotten the nomination? And no, I don't think either would have, because I think that, that uh, the committee was always going to nominate and always going to give the award to Amour. Amour was submitted as an Austrian film because of Haneke, but it's in French, and it's a, basically a French cast. And it's a French movie for all intents and purposes. It just happens to be an Austrian director. And I don't think when they were going to put Amour in there, I don't think they're going to put another French-language film in there because then it's like, oh, you're cheating. You, you we're going to put two French films in by calling one of them Austrian? No. So I, I think the French were doomed to not have a nomination this year no matter what the submission was. Uh, but this film yeah. did get a nomination. This and boy, awesome. Uh, you know what? I, it, between, I love this movie. Between this movie and Amour, I would have been perfectly happy with, with the Oscar going to either of them. I love A Royal Affair. A Royal Affair is just brilliant. This is a Danish film. Um, Mads Mikkelsen is fast becoming my favorite actor in the world. And you know that what? Guy, he, that guy just walks in there with that granite, that stony, chiseled, Danish, Nordic, high cheekbone, narrow-eyed face of his. And he he barely flinches a muscle, and somehow he emotes volumes. I, I've actually how does never, he do this? I, I I didn't realize he could be so romantic. He oh, does not fantastic. seem like a romantic actor to me, but here he is. Well, here's the thing: he's one of those actors, a little bit. I, I, and I and I'm loath to put Gary Cooper even in that in that class because he's it's more of a European style of acting. He's one of those guys who emotes so little. He just hold, Ben Kingsley's a good example. He does this. It's a minimalistic style of acting where you take everything down so low. That when there's the slightest quiver, it's like a, a Richter 8.0 earthquake. It right. just pours out of the screen and it just washes over you. Well, there's and when a, you get um, to the point climactically in this movie right. where he's really just unleashing it, it's like a torrent of emotion. It's incredible. There's a uh, there's a, a famous saying about acting, and they say the best actors feel the most but show the least. That's it. Yeah, and that's something that he does. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, he's amazing. So uh, if you don't know the story of a royal affair, the it's, it's a about Dan- an affair. It's about an affair. It's a Danish. Uh, it, it's it's about Danish history, and it's a uh, it's really kind of a uh, um, royal intrigue uh, that takes place in the court of the Danish king Christian the Seventh, and this is all taking place during the Enlightenment. Which you know the 18th century, and you've got uh, Rousseau and Voltaire and all these guys. And Voltaire is a big kind of um, figure in this. He's not a literal figure, but everyone is reading Voltaire, and they're talking about Voltaire and individual rights. And he says people should have rights. And you know, of course, everything is kind of ruled by religious law and by by you know royal law and all tradition. And Voltaire is upsetting that whole thing. And Mads Mikkelsen is a uh, a physician who's very much into Voltaire, who is brought into the court of the Danish king, who's a little bit crazy. And he winds up having an affair with the queen, and I will leave the rest to you uh, for you to figure out and find out when you watch the movie. It is uh, it is opulent. The art direction is spend- spectacular. The photography is brilliant. Uh, this is a Magnolia Blu-ray that just absolutely kills it. It is so freaking good. And Magnolia Blu-rays can be a little uneven. They're usually good, but this is this is right. This is top flight of the uh, of the Magnolia releases. Uh, special features include an interview with Mads Mikkelsen, uh, Nikolai Arcel, the director, and Alicia Vikander, who plays the queen, and uh, a bunch of other cool little ditties that aren't huge, but they're they're decent. Did you hear what uh, Ennio Morricone said about uh, Tarantino? What did he say? So. Ennio Morricone, who, of course, has been around. I mean, that guy, come on, since the 60s, he's, he's, he's the best. He's, uh, you know, a good man, the good man, the ugly, whatever. He says he will never work with Tarantino again. You want to know why? Uh, because he insulted the, 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 the spaghetti the western or something? No. Because, quote, he places music in his films without coherence. <laughs> when has Morricone actually worked with Tarantino? I don't understand. Well, I don't Tarantino know. Tarantino never uses score. He just puts like pop crazy seventies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like Django has all this like R and B in it and stuff. It's a little, kind of a weird story. <laughs> he'll never work with him again. Well, um, I mean, the the uh, the Hollywood Reporter had this article, and he's oh, go, so get this. Uh, uh, Morricone is eighty four years old. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Actually, he says that he uh, he says that he worked with Tarantino on four films. Which film? What? what uh, mean he worked well, with because uh, the the soundtracks include Morricone tunes. Well, doesn't mean he worked with him. Morricone and Tarantino worked together on Inglorious Bastards. No, they didn't. And on both installments of Kill Bill. No, they didn't. But it'll never happen again, according no, to the four-year-old Morricone. I wouldn't you know, like. You know, you know, it, it worked together. It does not does not mean he called him up and said, "Hi, can I use your music in my movie?" <laughs> The music well, you already wrote for another movie. Well, That's he, not working together. Well, here's the quote. Working together is you sit in a room, you spot it, and you go, I'd like a cue here. And I want it to kind of crescendo a little bit. Well, no, I, maybe it should de- decrescendo. That's working together. I wouldn't like to work with him right, again whatever. on – I wouldn't like to work with him again on anything. He said last year he wanted to work with me again ever since Inglorious Bastards. But I told him I couldn't because he didn't give me enough time. So he just used a song I had written previously. Mm. Um, Morricone didn't like the Django Unchained. Whatever. I didn't care for it too much blood. All right, real quickly, just to knock out the rest of these foreign language films, uh, Cohen Media Group, who we absolutely love. They are just doing great work uh, across the board, and I am thrilled that they are resurrecting uh, the uh, the Andre Teshine film, The Bronte Sisters, which is going to be showing at this year's Colcoa, City of Light, City of Angels Festival. Oh, by the way, uh, I... You I, I, about that. I, I, <laughs> should I tell you the update? Go, go get, let's hear the update. Well, Wade had uh, said I should be a, a judge on the jury at Colcoa. Damn right. And I said the issue was I don't know if I'll be able to watch twenty two movies in uh, six hours. Well, I talked to the <laughs> I, I, I talked to the program director, right, Francois. He's the Francois. Pro, yeah. He's the program director, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. For the festival, I exchanged emails, talked to him on the phone, 
And he said, this year there are 32 films. <laughs> and I'd have to watch them in two weeks. <laughs> and he wasn't sure how many would be on screener yet. And he was supposed to call me yesterday and tell me how many would be on screener. 32? Yes. There's 32? Yes. So, oh my God! He was supposed to call me back yesterday and tell me how many would be on a screener. Because if if it's on screeners, I can pound down four on a weekend. You know, yeah, I can just sit home sure, and watch them all. Sure. But if it's like you know, if if wow, if, if twenty five are on screeners, but I have to go see seven, Damn, I don't boy. know that I have the time to see seven because I have a day job. Yeah. So he was going to get back to me. Now our our good friend Jeannie Oppenheimer is on the jury. And, I've been uh, on the jury with Jeannie before. And uh, Lael yeah. Lowenstein is also... Mm-hmm. I've, been also on, on, I've been on the jury with Lael before, too. So they're both on the jury. And actually, Jeannie had wanted to know, because I had more inside track than yeah. she had, because I had just talked to Francois. She wanted to know how many films would be on screen, because that's all, that's all the jury sure. people care about. Right. Because you, you can't go to 32 premieres in two weeks. <laughs> true. <laughs> not going to happen. Very true. So she's wondering how many are on screener. Francois did not call me back, which makes me think that he's realizing that I just can't guarantee I can see 32 well, films in two weeks. They're also waiting to hear back from sales companies and yada, yada, yada. You know, that takes some time, too. So um, I'm just saying. Somebody actually has to sit there and, you know, run the machine and burn the disc. I know. And that's a, that's a pain for some but, people. But, but what, I, what I had said – what he had said to me is he said, look, if you don't see every single movie that's in contention, sometimes you get, you know – uh, judges who maybe skip a film or two and then, you know, they recuse themselves from talking about yeah. it. And I said, I don't want to do that. I want to see them all. Yeah. Well, it's, so you're, it, you're it's still out there. Okay, so back to Cohen Media Group, The Other Son by Loren, Le- uh, by Loren Levy. Uh, it's an Israeli film uh, from Cohen. It's on DVD and Blu-ray, and it is a fantastic film, really. I, I, didn't, I didn't see this during the year, and I was kind of blown away. Did you see this? No, it's uh, it's it's basically a kind of a switched at birth sort of a thing. It's a it's about a um, an Israeli kid who finds out that by birth he was Palestinian, and so it gets into it, it's uh, it's kind of a contrivance, uh, and obviously that means that there's a Palestinian kid who was born Jewish, right? So you you it, it's kind of a contrivance to you know create some kind of a metaphorical look at that situation. But I it's it's really an awesome film and definitely worth checking out. I I was shocked how much I like this movie. Wow, Wade. Yeah, shocked, shocked and stunned, really. And and you know, a decent Blu-ray. It's not an incredibly well-shot film, so it doesn't really just explode on Blu-ray. But I, I really thought it was super cool. So from Cohen Media Group, The Other Sun, definitely check that out. One of the uh, one of the kind of overlooked foreign language films of last year, to be honest. All right. All right, uh, just burning through the rest of these so we can get to the really good stuff. We've got a couple uh, Olive foreign language films from Olive Films. You know, Olive uh, usually does the classic American stuff, but we've got a couple of terrific uh, uh, foreign films starring Lino Ventura. And uh, Lino Ventura was the, you know, he just, I, I don't know if there's a, there's a way of describing what he represented uh, in Europe back in kind of the, in the 1960s. He's just a, Lino Ventura was like a, I don't know who who who's who, I mean I could say he's sort of Depardieu like but he was like sexy but he was sort of bull faced you know he had that raw rugged like I who? used to who's this Lino Ventura oh uh, he, uh, yeah they named Ventura Boulevard after him uh, in, yeah. in, in uh, Los Angeles <sighs> okay uh, no Lino Ventura was just he just you know amazing Italian actor both of these are French films and they're in French but uh, an Italian actor who just he had that raw gritty face it looked like he'd just been working in a coal mine but at the same time he was kind of sexy and cool anyway like me yeah exactly 
You're, you're Mr. Coalmine. Anyway, one is The Great Spy Chase, which is a, a fantastic uh, spy comedy. And the other is Monsieur Gangster, which is a, uh, just a, an equally great uh, kind of mob comedy, both from 1963. Both of them with the same trio of actors who were just so popular at the time. Lino Ventura stars along with Bernard Blier and Francis Blanche. Bernard Blier, of course, is the father of director Bertrand Blier. And these films are both directed by Georges Lautner and written by Michel Odiard, who is... Uh, Jacques Odiard's sister. Dad. So, uh, yes, another, another father of a great director here. So we just talked about Jacques Odiard. So, yes, these films written by the father of the guy who directed Rust and Bone. Pretty awesome, right? Uh, both on Blu-ray, both terrific films. Uh, a really a, a just awesome uh, discovery from, uh, from Olive. You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful they're finding all these things. And then the last two, uh, all together from Kino Barber. No, Barber. last two. We keep talking about movies people don't care about. Hey, come let's on. not talk this about is, Zero Dark Thirty. This is let's not talk about The Hobbit. Oh no, let's talk about All Together. Let's, let's do that. All Together, Jane Fonda uh, in a in a uh, French language film, uh, which is kind of it's sort of like one of the like Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, only in French with Jane Fonda. And then also uh, the, uh, the the Michelangelo Antonioni film Beyond the Clouds. Uh, which Vim Vendors presented um, back in 1994. And uh, not exactly a great film, but a terrific cast. It includes Sophie Marceau, John Malkovich, uh, Peter Weller, who was big at the time, Jean Reno, Irene Jacob, Fanny Ardant. You know. I used to think Irene Jacob was beautiful. She was so gorgeous. So, in, those, uh, are both on, uh, those are both on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. Irene Jacob was so beautiful in, uh, in the uh, Kozlowski trilogy. Yeah, Three oh, Colors. Amazing. All right, Mark, now on to the big movies. Uh, I think we should keep talking about movies no one cares about. All right. Zero Dark Thirty. Good the stuff. Film, the film that should have won Best Picture but didn't because everybody got all hung up on this little torture thing. Oh my well, God. Here's a, well, there's a it's couple the reasons. endorsement of torture. Well, there's a couple reasons. One is because uh, people had just... Here, had, read the script. They sent us the script, too. You know, okay, can I, can I just say something? Mark Bull published the, the published screenplay thing. No, no, no. no. Can, can, can we tell people, when they go to the bookstore and mm. they see, like, as example, Zero Dark Thirty, the shooting script. Yes. Can we tell them what the shooting script really is? Yeah, it's go basically ahead. like a transcript of the movie. Yeah. It's not like like Mark Bowl didn't this is not what came out of Mark Bowl's uh, word processor. It, it well this it is, is not. It, it let's put it this way. It is um it, it it kind of is and isn't. It's it's a it's an edited version to make sure that it corresponds to the film. So anything that he wrote that didn't wind up in the movie uh, or anything that uh, that may have been embellished or improvised or whatever, they go in and they tweak it. So Like I don't know whether Mark Bowl actually wrote Exterior Grand Trunk Road, Pakistan Day, a two-lane highway tucked on the side of the road is an old True. man with a cart of mangoes. He may have written something else. It's much more interesting when you get the uh, inside-the-script stuff that they are releasing now on uh, in, on ebooks and stuff like that. Yes. Those are interesting because you actually do get the like the photocopied original pages yes. to look at. And yes. you're like, wow, there it is right off the typewriter. Yes. That's what I want to see. It's like it also when, when, you're, when you're in big tourist towns like yeah. New York or L.A., sometimes I'll – You'll see those street vendors mm-hmm. who have scripts from famous movies yeah. on their table. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Well, this is a Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet Blu-ray combo pack. what I'm saying. Zero Dark Thirty. we got to move here. I, I wasted oh, all Oh, now we time. have to move. Well, you know, you had your, your Colcoa story, and we had all kinds My of other Colcoa stuff. My Colcoa story ruled. So anyway, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, I thought, was the best film oh, of last year. The reason why it didn't win. Bar none. Beca- <laughs> Go ahead. Why didn't it win? Because uh, A, it just wasn't its year, because I think that maybe if Hurt Locker didn't exist— 
Maybe. Possibly he could have won. But, but so many people got so hung up on this idea. Everyone is, it, 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 the, the, the whole residue of the Iraq war and terrorism and 9-11, it's all still so heated and so politically charged in every way that everybody just kind of projects their politics on movies that don't have any politics. There's no politics in this movie. You remember when this movie was being made, it was people on the right who were saying, oh, they had special access to the Obama administration. It's going to be a total puff piece. They're going to put this together and it's going to try to, they're going to try to help him get reelected and so forth because Catherine Bigelow is a big donor to the Obama campaign. turns out now all those people are attacking it. It's an endorsement of torture. It says that George Bush captured Osama bin Laden and George Bush is – it's like stop already. Back off. Well, See the forest, not the trees. Well, now, this movie has no agenda. People look for – well, this is all another conversation, but, but <sighs> it's in politics today, people look for any – any reason, Anything. any manufactured BS Anything. reason to bring down the other side. Mark Bowl wrote one of the best screenplays ever for this movie. He he said he, he said it himself. He researched it like a journalist, and then he wrote it like a screenwriter. And no one else could have written this movie. It's impeccable. It's like one of those great political thrillers from the seventies. Even better. I mean, it's right up there with all the President's Men, and you name it. I mean, it is a fantastic script. She directs the hell out of this thing. The sound editing, the photography, everything about this movie is top flight. And we gave it best editor. Yes, we did. Lafka, our very our inaugural best and, editor award was given to Zero Dark Golden, Thirty. And Goldenberg went on and won an Oscar for the other movie he edited, Argo, which is. Argo. Uh, anyway, outstanding film in every conceivable way. I just, I take nothing from this movie, and I will defend it to my dying day. Sony nails it. Uh, it, is a, it is just a superlative Blu-ray. Looks almost better on Blu-ray than it did on, on screen. I, I gotta tell you, watching this, it just is a superb film. And uh, great score from Alexander Depla, who does not do his usual thing. Uh, it doesn't sound Depla-like at all. No, in fact, you know what? I was watching the film, and I was thinking to myself, I cannot because there's no there's no front credits. No. There's no it, all the credits are at the end. I remember thinking, God, who did the music for this? Because this know, is a good, right? it's a good score. It turns yeah. out it's the least person you would expect. Yeah, uh, the extras not much, I, which leads me to think there's going to be some kind of a special edition maybe down the line, uh, but maybe not if it didn't win all the awards it was supposed to. Uh, you know, it only won one award for. Um what did it win? It was like tied for sound editing yeah, with, tie, yeah, with, there, there with, with Skyfall, tied with Skyfall, which was weird. You know, Mark Wahlberg was like uh, no BS. Um, anyway, the, uh, just a few featurettes on here. Um, nothing really mind-boggling except you know the, the bit with Jessica Chastain talking about building her character is interesting. But the movie is what you want. We love Jessica Chastain. The, um, and uh, the movie that was supposed to win Best Picture in a lot of people's minds uh, was Les Miserables, which just faded quickly. Uh, that was kind of the, the big film for all 10 seconds. And it got a few awards. It got uh, a very deserved award for uh, the supporting actress performance of Anne Hathaway, who really won it just for one one song, one take. One overwrought take. I thought the movie had horrible photography. I hate the handheld, shaky It was also crap. really poorly edited. You know, I, I, here's the thing. I will defend this film uh, yeah. a little bit. Uh, defend although, a little bit. Although ultimately, I do think it was kind of... Uh, okay, I'll defend it in this yes. way. If, you've, if your experience with, with the material yes. is either reading it or seeing it on stage, yep. you have to admit... Yes. That Hooper gave it to you in a way that you cannot get otherwise. Lots of close-ups. True. Which normally you don't get on stage. And that whole, that whole live singing thing is what sort of dictated everything else. The fact that they had earpieces and that they were listening to the music you know, through an earpiece. That's and they right. were singing live and recording like live. I'm fine with that. I just don't know why he had to sort of... I'm even fine with... Anyway. Here's the thing. Anything... You know, people say that, that 
you know, the problem with the movie is that when every song is a showstopper, no song is a showstopper. True. Because the whole thing is at, at a 10. But and, I and, think that that's just how people wanted this material presented. I don't know how much subtlety there is in this story. True. I mean, I've seen it. Look, I've said this before. I've seen this done better in the non-musical versions, especially the television uh, movie with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Richard Jordan. But uh, some the, the featurette stuff on here is decent. There's a great commentary with Tom Hooper, even though I don't care for the movie that, that much. And I like it. I just It's not what I wanted it to be. It's a great commentary. Hooper is a great talker. Um, and uh, you do get the original text of Les Miserables. I don't know who's actually going to read it off of uh, off of a DVD, but there it is. It's there. And then uh, Blu-ray exclusives are interesting. One of them is on is a featurette on the live singing thing, which is super cool and very interesting and really compelling. And then a thing that kind of dissects the uh, the battle at the barricade is is a pretty good featurette as well. So I mean, worth renting. I don't know if it's worth owning unless you're just so completely bonkers for the music that you just got to have this thing and you want to watch it every month. And by the way, I, I had never seen Les Mis in any form. I I had never read it. I had never seen the, the the stage play. I thought it was like a tourist play that I should avoid at all costs. So I knew nothing. So I go in there and I'm yep. I am overwhelmed for all that's good and bad about being overwhelmed by a film. But that being said, I did sort of like it. I can even justify Russell Crowe, whose singing voice is not what the others are. <laughs> but I felt like as a, as, as a counterpoint to all the heroes of the piece, it's okay if the villain sings a little bit differently. I, I, I could justify that. Okay. Um, so there you go. I, I was I, – I knock it for a lot of things, but I do give it credit where I think it's due. Yeah. Um, there you go. Okay. Next, Wade, is one of my favorite films of last year, Life of Pi. Now, I am you so – You really love this. I did. I adore it. I just – I know. I, here's the thing. All I am right. so clueless. <laughs> I didn't even know Life of Pi was a book. <laughs> I did. I swear to Christ, I had no idea it was a book. No idea. Watch this movie. Watch this great movie. I'm, I am entranced by this film. I it's been, beautiful. I've been hearing about this for years. I, I, I got it no because, because my sister-in-law, you know, lives in Norway and teaches English in Norway, uh, married to a Norwegian. And um, she she teaches this book to her students. Never she's heard like of it. nuts for it. And she, for years, she'd, she'd come when she'd come over at holidays. Oh, Life of Pi taught the students. Life Never of heard. Pie. Of it. And I'm like, I don't understand life of like an apple pie. It's, Never heard. Of what it. kind of pie? No I don't. Idea. What and how is it? How is it alive? I don't understand. I don't it never made sense to me. No, no pie is in the name of the character spelled like the. You know, like the uh, the, the number. I don't. I, what it's are you talking book? about? I don't know. And the movie came out, and I was like, meh. A lot, of, a lot of production value thrown at an actor who's not very good. And I don't, I don't think the guy who plays. You don't the think kid, this kid's good? No, really. No, this kid has to hold the whole movie by himself. Exactly. He's the only person in the movie. Exactly. And he's terrific. No. Considering what he's asked to do, he's terrific. No. Uh, you are, you are Scrooge. Um, I thought this thing was just magical. I really, really loved it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's based. It's, uh, re- reportedly, it's based on a book. I don't know. I, I've, I've been told there's a book <laughs> called Life of Pi. I, I mean, it <laughs> I is, no idea. It, I, and I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it won photography as well because I just thought it looked like phony and CGI. Well, look, but here's, there here's it is. the thing. When, as, as, as Hitchcock found out in Lifeboat, yes. it's very hard to make a movie that takes place in a boat. But the, two, the, the three things that keep that going, that keep you from being bored if you're just going to spend all the movie in a boat, is the photography, the mm. editing, and the acting. And, well, I, and by the way, when I say acting, I also mean, in a sense, I also mean the animals. Well, Steven Spielberg's not too happy about it, but uh, we'll say that. Well, no, cause, Spielberg. Because Ang Lee won Best Director for this thing. I will say this. From a logistical standpoint, what, what Ang Lee executed in this movie is breathtaking. Because when you consider that, that Les Mis, which is you know this gigantic, huge, logistically challenging musical, Les Mis shot for something like a, what was it, like 120 days or whatever. 
Life of Pi shot three times as long. It took like a year to shoot this movie. I mean, in, on like four different continents and, you know, 15 different cities. It was just, it's an enormous task. So I do say from a logistical standpoint, I admire the hell out of what he did. Just to keep your focus to put a movie together over that kind of a breadth of time and space and effort is an enormous achievement. The result, not so thrilled with. Oh, Wade. Yeah. Uh, Michael Dana also... Uh one of the yes, Oscar for score. Yes, yes, he did. And it's a good score. It's a great score. It's a, tri- I, it's I a tribute it, score. Yeah. I do. I absolutely adore this film, Life of Pi. It looks great. Also, I have to say that Ang Lee, part of the reason I think Ang Lee won is because he finally realized he's one of the only filmmakers to realize what 3D does, yes. which is that it just, it just it, he uses it the right way. Mm-hmm. It, it just subtly dimensionalizes the film. He's not showing off. He's taking to this magical world. And so 3D can be justified in that sense. He's not throwing stuff at the screen. It's just it was great. I just thought it was absolutely magical. And of course, um, the twist at the end, which I knew nothing about because I've heard this is based on a book, mm-hmm. uh, blew me away. The thing okay. at the end, we yeah, realized what the whole story was. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought, oh my god, that's like blowing me away. I love it. Really? Yes. Now, though, those who read the book, it'll mean nothing. But to me, it was I like wow. I, I, I think I was like working on a on a blackhead at that point in the movie or something. I can't. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, this thing. I mean, just such care was taken into the whole film, into making the whole film. I thought the the kid was great. The CGI of the of the tiger was great. Uh, the now this is a book that I could see being considered unfilmable. Okay. Fine. Now, why don't you tell me how much you love Rise of the Guardians like a lame person? <laughs> I didn't watch it. It's like, yeah. it's like let's take no one did, Santa actually. Claus and the Jack Frost and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and put them in a whole mashup movie where they all get to hang out and it, everyone will get something that they want. It's the Avengers of uh, childhood and holiday fantasy heroes or something. You know what I feel bad for in these mm. movies? I feel bad for the voice actors. I'll tell you why. Why? Because when they sign on to these things, you know, they were like in this film, let's say Chris Pine, Alec Baldwin, Jude Law, you know, Hugh Jackman, they record their voices, you know, for a couple of days and yes. then they go away for two years yes. and they see the movie and it's like mm-hmm. maybe when they were doing this, like, wow, this is great. It'd be this DreamWorks, 3D's been a big hit. Two years later, the movie comes out when they've long forgotten about it Yes, and uh, it winds up being Rise of the Guardians. Oh my gosh. This movie is just terrible. And by the way, it didn't do well either. It, it, oh. it was not good and it didn't do well, which is uh, kind of bizarre. Anyway, uh, it, it just... And supposedly, this is also based, by the way, on a uh, on uh, on printed source material. Yes, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know what? It's just it seems it was it was kind of like written by committee. It's uh, it's not all that much fun. It's kind of like dour. And uh, I knew I didn't want to see this movie when Santa Claus shows up looking like looking like Superman with a beard. I mean, seriously, like Santa Claus. He, he, in every bit of artwork I saw in this movie, it's like Santa Claus is standing there. He's looking all kind of buff and heroic. Come on, stop. Really, just stop. Don't, don't, don't reinvent Santa Claus. And I don't think you understand. You've reinvented Doctor Who. Doctor Who was originally an old guy with like you know a crotchety old guy who looked like a professor from Cambridge, and now he's just like he's, he's like the young he's like the young West End stud. He's like twenty five years old and he's good looking and the women like him. I mean, come on. Because nobody's me? nobody's gonna watch a show starring an eighty year old guy. Those days are over. He's Santa Claus. Every every kid loves Santa Claus. They wait How for is Santa-, Santa Claus supposed to get all the way around the world in one night unless he's like buff and muscular and speedy? Guy gets it done. Can't be some fat guy. Oh, fat guy's fine. never gonna make it around the world in one night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. Um, the Hobbit. Now I I can't fully vouch for this because the the 3D version of the Hobbit on Blu-ray was not sent around. And they only sent us the combo pack with the Blu-ray DVD Ultraviolet, uh, and um, 
so I, I was curious to see how the 3D on this thing, because this was like the whole point of this was to shoot it in 48 frames a second, 3D, so that you would get this immersive experience watching it in a theater at the higher resolution, the higher frame rate. The, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the whole 3D effect was supposed to be enhanced. Um, I saw it that way projected. And uh, I honestly thought that at 48 frames a second, I didn't hate it the way that I thought I would. I thought I was like watching a very special episode of Doctor Who combined with, you know, Lidsville or something. Uh, so I just kind of got into it. It had the BBC thing, right? And the Shire looked very Teletubby-like in 48 frames. And so I just kind of imagined that, the you know, it was a really special episode of Teletubbies, too. Um, I, I am unable to vouch for how the home experience of the higher frame rate and the 3D compares because they didn't make it available to us. Which would, says something would, to me. I would like to. I would like to see something. I'm very proud of. What are you proud of? I did not see this movie. Did you not? Nope. Nope. You know what? I did. You no, know not... 48 frames. Screw you. Uh, yeah, and and frankly, you know, what I was able to do was watch this, uh, and I did see it theatrically in 24 frames as well because I wanted to be able to compare and speak to all of those logistics. And uh, I think it's it's fine. It's a it's a decent film. It's not horrible. Uh, I I don't think it needs to be three movies. You really feel them stretching out the uh, a lot of the stuff to really kind of blow some air into the uh, the set pieces. But um, uh, you know, it's it, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly serviceable. And uh, Martin Freeman is is a terrific lead. You know, he carries a movie in a wonderful like way. And and it's nice watching uh, watching him and thinking. You know what? I I saw you actually play a. Um, a uh, a porn film stand-in once before in uh, Love Actually, and that makes that makes it very special because I can I can picture picture um, uh, Bilbo Baggins doing the nasty. <laughs> he was in uh, he was in the I saw him in the British version of The Office. That's right, and that's where I was like, God, this kid, he's this good. guy's funny. He's good. He's very he's cool. funny. He's terrific. So anyway, yeah, I thought it was perfectly serviceable, and 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 I thoroughly love Gollum. Every time you know Smeagol shows up, I God, you know what? Just saying Smeagol <laughs> makes me thank God I didn't see this movie. Oh, I just didn't. I just see seventy five hours of this like two years ago. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, it made a ton of money, but you know, anyway, it's serviceable. So I can't. Bad. But again, I can't speak to all how it compares to all of those technical things because they didn't send us the uh, the big Whopper version. One thing I will say, they're very heavily plugging uh, with the, – there's like a whole thing inside here plugging what's going to – what are we – about a week away now. On the 24th, uh, there is going to be a big deal online, a live sneak peek of the next film with Peter Jackson, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, S-M-A-U-G. <laughs> Just, Which is just, you know, just I know. Long. So What's that's part of what people? this is about. It's to, to help generate interest in the next one. So you can get, you can bet that this 169 minute version. Yep, Mark, is going to be a three and a half hour director's cut with even more junk. I cannot wait to not see that either. Yep, it's going to come. It's going to happen. Your time is going to come. Uh, Hitchcock is on Blu-ray. Hitchcock with uh, Anthony Hopkins, Helen Mirren, Scarlett Johansson. I cannot tell you how little I like this movie. See, I like this movie. It was this, fun. It was airy. It was frothy. Movie, that's the problem. I, I, I did not. I did not. It's, it's not just that it's airy and frothy, which is what I don't want about a, a movie about Hitchcock. Oh. It just the thing just rings false. It rings false from beginning to end, and it, uh, um, hit, uh, Hopkins is doing a impersonation of Hitchcock without really kind of getting into what he was all about. I, I learned very, I learned a little bit about the movies and the women that he loved, but not much. I mean, I, maybe if there's anything didn't you can say you enjoy, about... Didn't you enjoy being, like, transported back to that, that era? And I that wasn't. Whole, that it just, studio it was, thing? I just... It was shot so bright and flat, and I just... It just seemed so TV movie. It was, it was, it was like a big day of dress-up. 
it felt like a funnier die video or oh, something. Fine. It just I didn't like it at all. Fine. <laughs> How did you? Why did you like the the only thing that this movie will do? It was entertaining. I was thoroughly entertained. Is it deep? No. I was thoroughly disappointed. The only thing this movie will do is that it will finally give some uh, credit to Hitchcock's wife, Alma. Uh, Alma. Yeah. Played by Helen Mirren, and the and the uh, work that she did in helping to craft her husband's career. It, you know, this is based on a book too. You know that. Uh, Wait, That's basically about about Alma being the uh, you know being the big cheese in that relationship. Now, Alfred Hitchcock was he a real director? Uh, no, he just hosted a show on TV. Uh, this is forty, the exclusive unrated version, also on the disc, I'm along gonna, with the theatrical versions. I'm I'm going to defend this film a little bit. Really? Yes, okay. I am. Let me just say, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, ultraviolet combo disc. Two versions of the film on here. And uh, it doesn't matter. Truly, this is this is one of those movies that doesn't need two different versions. Uh, it needs it, it just it just needs to be one decent film, and, and there isn't a decent film on here. I, I I'm eager to hear what you're going to defend this for because <laughs> this movie shouldn't even exist. You know, a, a good friend of ours, uh, Lafka colleague, who I will not name in case she doesn't want to be named, but she was very funny. Her after she watched it when we were getting ready for voting, she emailed me. She goes, "Yeah, I just uh, I just watched." Um, uh, Judd Apatow's wife and kids in a movie with another guy instead of Judd Apatow. Uh, that's basically how she saw it. Uh, you know, white people problems. Well, you know what? I mean, that's obviously something I, I can't. Uh, I, I, well, you know what they say: write what you know. And the fact is that Judd Apatow and James L. Brooks too, with yeah. with, 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 with with like with Spanglish, which I truly hated. Yeah. Uh, you know, Apatow's writing what he knows, but I can see how people don't quite. Well, people, here's the thing: it's not. It's not a great entry point for the audience to care about the characters if they are these, this super wealthy West Side of That's Los Angeles it. family that has their little white people problems. I totally get that. This but is- if you strip away, if you if 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 you were to strip and and if you were to strip away all the Apatow isms issues, yes. it's too long and it's about rich white people. <sighs> if you look at the emotional problems that they go through, I felt that the emotional beats. Of the story, we're legitimate to it's those a, people. It's a and comedy to, that is two hours and well, fourteen I, I know, minutes I'm long. T- I'm, I'm oh, and the unrated version is three minutes longer. Oh, that's it's like the forty-year-old version again. It's like really. It's a, like what are you trying to do? Mad, 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 mad world. You trying I'm to saying is that yes, it's white people Gosh. problems and it's too long and all that sort of stuff. But if you look actually at emotionally what these characters go yeah, through, right. it is emotionally legitimate. I like parts of it in bits and pieces. Uh, if, for those who don't know, this is kind of a sideways spinoff from. Uh, knocked up. It takes the 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 characters played by Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd and their daughters, who are of course also you know they are Leslie Mann's and Judd Apatow's actual daughters. So it is Judd Apatow's family with Paul Rudd standing in and for you know Judd what Apatow. The, the, okay, fine. You and they all these are the characters. The kids are that, good. They are good. These are the characters they played in Knocked Up. They were peripheral characters. They were supporting characters, and it sort of decides to build a movie around them. And I, I think you they, look. I like the characters. I think a lot of the film is very funny, um, but it just does. It's it's just it's it's just it's it's ex it's it needs editing. It needs someone but to come in. All his films need editing. There's, there's he needs no what he needs. What Tarantino needs. He needs what Spielberg needs. He needs what all of them need when they just get too full of themselves. He needs somebody to walk in and say, you know, your stuff stinks, and we need to cut this down. And some he needs an editor. He needs you know somebody who, to just judge him. You know who never needed that? Uh, Every Woody Allen film is like ninety minutes long. <laughs> and 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 you know what? Billy Wilder never needed that either. They exactly. were self-critical and self-analytical to a, a hyperactive degree. But see, that's that's that Jewish neurosis, right? Judd Apatow needs more Jewish neurosis. By the way, if you want to, see, if you really want to see, if you really, uh, if you really want a reason to see this movie, 
you should see it because they shot it near where I used to live. Ah, yes. All those scenes where, where uh, they're, uh, they're riding their bikes down San Vicente Boulevard. Yes. Is I used to live on San Vicente Boulevard. So with all the scenes where they're riding their bikes down San Vicente Boulevard uh, or driving down San Vicente, uh, I used to live about a, probably about three-quarters of a mile well, very down good. the road from very that good. very spot. Bravo. Thank you very much. Uh, Bachelorette is a terrible film, and uh, it's a terrible film because it thinks it's going to be all transgressive like Bridesmaids because it's, uh, it stars a bunch of women and it's directed by a woman and all the sort of women are in it, and uh, but it's terrible. Now, supposedly it's like a satire. It's like raunchy and... Everyone is is all about you know being foul mouthed and uh, bodily fluids and stuff like that. But you know what? You ultimately, I just don't care about that stuff. It's when you're trying to be that, it's always a problem. Yeah, you know, because it doesn't come from character; it comes from trying to be out there. And uh, I just thought this movie was just a total misfire. There's bloopers and a behind the scenes and a commentary from the director, but uh, ultimately, Bachelorette, which uh, stars Kirsten Dunst, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, uh, Rebel Wilson, who's suddenly the bigot girl. And Adam Scott is just, to me, a total uh, unfunny uh, misfire that just tries way too hard to be out there. Wow. Wow. Wade, can I say something about uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn? Go ahead. I hate these movies. These movies are not going to hold so up. It's over now. These, yes. It's done. God. The whole thank thing, God. it's finished. Yeah, but now they're trying to, now it's Hunger Games and they'll be I know, else. I know. You realize that these movies are not going to hold up. Oh, no, not in a million like years. In, they, don't, they don't hold up now. I mean, 10 years from now, not that studios care about this stuff anymore, but 10 years from now, do you think people are going to go, oh, you know what, I really want to... Re-. Like, I've seen, like, every Star Trek sequel 57,000 times. I've mm-hmm. seen, like, every James Bond I film 20 you. times. I've seen these because they're good films. And they're not just... Now, by the way, not all of them are good films, but they're all, you know, worth rewatching. I just don't think these movies are worth rewatching. And if somebody wants to email us at gods... At, ooh, I, I bumped the mic. Nice. If somebody wants to email us at gods at digigods.com and, and make a case for how they're going to rewatch the Twilight series because it's so awesome, uh, I would love to uh, hear it. All right. Anyway, we have on, um, we have on Blu-ray digital copy, we have the Twilight uh, Breaking Dawn Part 1, uh, an extended edition, in a very uh, odd-looking white uh, plain wrap packaging. Which I guess they did because uh, yeah. they're getting married or they got married in this one or whatever that happened. This was stupid one, I can't remember. Um, and then we have finally uh, Breaking Dawn Part 2, which is the uh, – I think they, they tried to do what they did with the last Harry Potter film, which is break it in two. Because they, they saw how well that worked with Harry Potter. But uh, it doesn't work as well here. And um, I think that Rob Pattinson and Kristen Stewart I, – I, tell Lawner, forget about him. He's, he, he's done. <laughs> yes, he he's is. Terrible. He's done. He – his, his, his agents, try, his, his managers tried to push him into uh, top-lining that, that John Singleton action film, which mm-hmm. I bombed. And I just think this kid's is over. She can maybe carve out a good career in like indie films and whatnot. I think, she, I think she's smart. I think she's smart within that indie niche. I think she could do that. I don't know what to make of him. I don't know what's going to happen. Well. Yeah. I don't get it. Uh, this Must Be the Place is one of the strangest films. Uh, it really is. I don't know why this movie was made. Uh, Judd Hirsch is like the best thing in this movie, and that's not saying much. Um, Sean Penn was supposed to be kind of like a big Oscar contender. Well, this was at Cannes, okay? This was this film kind of made its debut at Cannes. There was a lot of buzz about it, and then it sort of fizzled at Cannes, and then the Weinsteins picked it up, and I don't even think it's got a theatrical release. I mean, you got a two-time Oscar oh, winner here. Oh, it didn't. Here. You got a two-time Oscar winner here uh, in a Weinstein film, and they just buried this thing. Uh, I, I, I guess it just didn't get the heat on it that they were hoping. Anyway, uh, Paolo Sorrentino, who's an Italian director who made a horrible movie called Il Divo that a lot of our colleagues loved a few years ago, which is about this famously corrupt 
prime minister of Italy, and it's just this tricked-up, psychedelic, weird-ass, super highly stylized movie. And I, I just I think Sorrentino was all style and no substance. He made this movie uh, starring Sean Penn as this goth rocker who visits, try, discovers his dad is still alive, and he comes to the United States. His dad's already dead, and then there's this whole weird road trip about trying to you know take revenge against a Nazi war criminal, and it it doesn't really hang together. It's it's on Blu-ray, meh. Uh, and then we also have part two of Atlas Shrugged, which, um, you know what, uh, Andy Klein, our good buddy Andy Klein, quite uh, quite succinctly summed up his feelings on this when he said, um, if somebody turned my favorite novel into a movie this bad, I'd be really pissed off. The first one was so horrible that, that they when they did part two, they recast the whole thing. They're all different actors. It's it's just bizarre, and it still doesn't work. It, it, it just, you know, the only reason this exists is because somebody, and a friend of mine speculated about this, is that the guy who had bought the rights to this, who had no experience in filmmaking, was so determined to get the thing made before his option expired that he literally just he just threw, threw some money at, at a bunch of people who didn't know what they were doing, and they wound up having two very, very expensive amateur films that just completely desecrated a, a novel. And regardless of what you think of the novel, this is not the novel. Not part one and not part two, certainly. I just wonder why a movie or a, a, a novel like that, which Hollywood has coveted, yeah. For decades, I know winds up in the hands of that guy because I mean this gets like into Angelina thing. Jolie wanted to make that. Like, why can't? How come this guy can make it? Angelina Jolie can't because because it, and that gets into a whole different political thing. But Leonard Peikoff, who administers the Ayn Rand estate and oversees her legacy, is is a guy who just he's got his own very peculiar ideas about who should and shouldn't do things, and you got to run through him. So. Well, now look what he did. Yeah. Now he wound up destroying the legacy of the novel. Now well, it will not be made again for, for 20 years. For 20 years. Yeah. Uh, Chasing Mavericks is uh, the further destruction of the career of Gerard Butler. Although, you know what? I'm seeing this, uh, that uh, Olympus Has Fallen. What's that White House movie he's in? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's the one. I'm seeing that in yeah. a couple of days. Uh, Let I me know it? how it is. Really? Should I see it or should I pass on it? I think I might pass. No, nah, I think I'll see it. If I have nothing else going on, I'll see it. Uh, anyway, it's uh, you know it's got great um, it's got uh, great ocean photography because it's about a couple of uh, surfers, a young surfer, and sort of like uh, you know this mythical wave that you know everyone's got to surf because that's what wave people do. I don't surf, Wade. I tried surfing once, and uh, <clears throat> let's just say Jews don't surf. I hear you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, I just found this film that the characters are not that interesting. The surfing scenes are gorgeous. I totally get it. The movie wants to be inspiring. It's clearly, it's clearly not inspiring. Uh, the only thing I can do really to recommend this thing is just say that, um, that the uh, photography is great. Um, but otherwise, I have nothing more I can say about Chasing Mavericks because uh, it's not great. God, I was so... Uh, was Gerard Butler, man. What is the deal with that guy? I just don't know. I just I, he's like. I think you do know, and you're not telling me. I just don't know what his deal is. I, he's. I, I think he could be a good actor, but it's like he wants to be Matthew McConaughey now. I don't know what he wants to be. Oh, that's weird. I don't know what he wants to be. Anyway, uh, the Hudsucker Proxy finally out on Blu-ray. Oh, what Yay. a glorious, glorious thing! This is the uh, this is the latest Warner Archives Blu-ray release. And Warner Archives, a Coen Brothers film on a Warner Archives. It's well, not you know getting what? the full blowout. Hudsucker Proxy was my favorite film of that year. I love this movie without reservation. 1994, best film of 1994. I still stand by that. And here's what I here's the thing. This was so Preston Sturges-y 
that I think it just threw a lot of people for a loop. I, I don't think anybody realized that this was just a complete riff on Preston Sturges' movies with the style of the Coen brothers, and it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. But people, the thing is that the Coen brothers know that. It's not, it's not like totally they're ripping that. off Preston Sturges. No, no, they no, know that. They know that. And, and by the way, they wrote this with Sam Raimi. You know, they're childhood buddies with Sam Raimi. They, they, they all grew up together. So, uh, and, and, and it's, it's so clever and it's so funny and it's so wonderful. It's the best thing that Tim Robbins has ever done. It really is. He's so fun. Paul Newman is great. The style is great. Uh, it, but this kind of sealed their doom as far as big studio movies. It was expensive and it didn't make any money. And, you know, Warner Brothers didn't really know what to do with it. But thank goodness it's out on Blu-ray because it does have a, a cult following. Jennifer Jason Lee is so doing totally uh, Catherine Hepburn. I mean, such a Hepburn impression that she's doing. Oh, it's great. It's just fantastic. And the scene where, the, the scene where he does his little, like, college dance... His little the, the little hoot and dance thing, I, I I think I almost had an aneurysm. I laughed so hard during that moment in the movie. It is so brilliant. I'm you know I'm making myself all excited again. I'm going to home watch it again. It's great. I should be watching stuff I need to watch for radio at the end of the month. But screw it. I'm going to watch the Hudsucker Proxy wow. today. Yeah. Wade Wade Major, Blu-ray, and it's a great transfer. It's a great transfer. Wade, yes. Let me tell you something. Oh dear. There's a movie. Oh dear. This is this is. <laughs> Okay, this is one of the... Uh... Forget about Indiana Jones. Forget about Luke Skywalker. When you want to talk about characters that George Lucas created, the truly immortal, memorable characters created by George Lucas that will endure the test of time, we are talking about Mark Kaiser. Willow. Thank you. But you know what? Okay, this is the 25th anniversary Blu-ray of Willow. And, and I saw this when I was like a tiny little person. Yeah, I know. And I remember thinking, even when I was that young, that this is a cool movie because it's totally. all cool and stuff and junk. Uh-huh. But somehow it's not what it wants me to think it is. I know. I hear you. I mean, it's very ambitious. Yes. And it was directed by Ron Howard. Yes. Very ambitious, and it combines sci-fi with sword and sorcery and big epic filmmaking. But um, ultimately, uh, it, it even has it even has the thing that you don't really see that much anymore that mm-hmm. you used to see in a lot of Disney films, which is like like the two crazy sidekicks. I know. You know, Warwick Davis is like, you know, well, no, no, the, the uh, two crazy sidekicks in this one were, um, was it Kevin? Po- no, it wasn't Kevin Pollock. Who was it? Who were the two crazy sidekicks in this movie? They were two crazy oh, sidekicks. Yeah, um, they were the ones who like, who like, uh, they, they, they rode around. I, I remember there was a, there was a chase scene where, I mean, they're both really small people and they're stuck in the back of like this cart. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And during a chase scene and they're bouncing around the cart going, Ro- Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they're like the Rosencrantz and Gilden- Guildenstern yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And, um. It's just, I'm like, you know what? This is just trying to be so magical, and yet it's kind of cool, but it's not magical. No. No, not at all. Story by George Lucas. Music by James Horner. Come on, early James Horner score. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not a terrible Horner score. It's totally derivative, but it's one of his less offensive uh, scores. I don't know. I, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's on Blu-ray. What can you say? It looks fine, but um, it just, uh, I don't know. Warwick Davis. I, what, what have you become, Warwick Davis? I don't know. You know what? I, I think there's something about Lucas's best creations, Indiana Jones and Star Wars and whatnot. Yeah. They they just feel very light on their feet and fun. This one felt like it was sort of trying to be the new this or that. And when you try to be the new this or that, you're never the new this or that. Just tell me a great story and I will decide it's new this or that. I hear you. So I think Willow kind of fell into that. But uh, it's got a great cast. And it's Ron Howard, and uh, I think that there'll be a certain demographic who will run out and buy this thing, and I think that they'll watch it, and they'll realize that it's kind of not that great. Very true. 
And lastly, we've got a couple of sensational Criterion uh, titles of great movies, great movies. One from 1943 and the other one from that vintage classic year of 1973. And may I just point out the distance between these two movies, Mark, is greater than the distance between Badlands and Now. You, you always make that analogy. Yep. I don't understand it. Yep. I'm just pointing it out. What does that out. mean? It just, it just means... How is that dramatic? How does it make me feel old? Just, uh, it's, that's, uh, there it is. Uh, the, life and, the earliest one from 1943 is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which is one of the, uh, the great Powell Pressburger films that is not yet out on, uh, on Blu-ray from Criterion. It is now. And this is taken from the Film Foundation's 2012 4K restoration, which is sensational. Uh, if, you, you know, if you know anything about Powell and Pressburger, they really pioneered color cinematography uh, back in the 1940s and this is one of the examples this is a spendiculous there's a new word spendiculous you like that? I don't, what does it mean? I don't know. It's spectacular and splendiferous and ridiculous all at the same time. Uh, this is a spendiculous-looking movie in color. It is just fabulous. The mono audio is so good. Could I just say the mono audio is so good? I almost think it's better than than some like 5.1 setups. Oh, you're just saying that I'm to be serious. Different. It is awfully good. Uh, the story itself is is uh, you, you know it, it it's the story of um, General Clive Candy, who is like this sort of strangely legendary figure, and uh, his life's at least the period that the film covers is uh, four decades from 1902 to 1942, and uh, an amazing performance by Deborah Carr. Um, Roger Livesey in the lead is, I mean, if you don't know who he is as an actor and he didn't have a huge following in the United States, it's just tremendous. It's one of the great performances of all time. It is a little bit uh, of a satire, um, but it's very wry. So the tone of the film is something you need to kind of be pre- uh, prepared for, but it's, it's such a great film. And it's just, you got so many great extras on here. Uh, Scorsese, of course, has to introduce the damn thing because of, you know, Telma Schoonmacher and that whole Michael Powell connection. Uh, but there's a great profile uh, here uh, from 2000 called um, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, a profile of... And that is um, followed by a restoration demonstration that Scorsese also hosts and uh, a whole bunch of other good stuff. So it's, it's really great. And lastly, Terrence Bad, uh, Malick's Badlands uh, from 1973, his directing debut, actually. Uh, and then he went ahead and made one more movie and then vanished. It's the strangest and then, thing. And then he vanished for 20 years and then started making movies every 18 months. <laughs> and I wish he'd go back and vanish. I wish he'd go vanish again. Oh, no. You, you haven't seen, you haven't seen uh, To the Wonder yet, have, have you? you? It's wonderful. Really? Yeah. Seriously, you it's wonderful. saw it? I did. It's wonderful. I, I, I think you're, a, I think you're a, a, a Malik apologist. I am, totally. But, uh, and Tim said, you know what, I like it, but I've already seen this movie, and it was called Tree of Life. But I really did. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was, it was really, really sweet. Although, um, you know what's funny about Badlands? Look at hmm. the cover art. Doesn't that seem like the most unbadlandsy cover art for this movie? Yeah, but that's but very that's, stark black and white film. Yet it's got the exploitation looking, uh, yeah. the, the uh, roadshow drive-in theater looking. Uh, it's cool. Know, I like artwork. it. I like it. Anyway, this also is uh, from a 4K digital transfer that uh, Malik himself oversaw, which is nice. And uh, it's got a great direct uh, making of documentary on here called Making Badlands, uh, which is just first rate. Uh, of course, you don't see Malik in it. <laughs> and um, then there are also new interviews with people who were involved in the film, like editor Billy Weber and uh, Edward Pressman, who was the executive producer. And there's even a 1993 television uh, episode, um, American Justice, which is uh, gives you the backstory of the actual events and the actual people the movie was based on, which I had never, re- I was not that familiar with. I kind of knew it loosely. 
Uh, what's not so interesting is Almereda's Michael Almereda, the director, uh, does a, a booklet essay, and I wish they would have gone with a real critic because Almereda just is not my idea of an interesting guy. I don't think he's. I don't think what he writes about the film is all that interesting. But that being said, it is Blu-ray, it is Badlands, and it is gorgeous. And Criterion has nailed it once again with Badlands and uh, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. So that being said, uh, please send us uh, Vox boxes. Send us listener. No, stop. Send us listener mail and send us. Uh, oh, you know what, Mark? We were going to get the listener mail today. We didn't get to it. Oh, we'll we have ran to out do more next week. Next show. Next show. We'll get to it. And listener mail to godsdigigods.com. And the we'll Facebook see. page. And the Facebook page. Visit the Facebook page. Join the Facebook conversation. Lots of interesting things going on over there. We have solved. Uh, we've, we've got the cure for cancer. That's the latest thread. You know that. Really? Yep. It's it, just today. Posted. 